Good morning, everyone. Uh, again, welcome. For those who might be joining us for the first time on video or listening to the podcast, or you're just a little bit late getting started today, a welcome. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman. Let me encourage everybody, because I haven't done this yet today, to check in. There are a variety of different ways you can do that. Probably the easiest ongoing way, whether you're online or on site, is to use our app. Just click on that check-in in our app. You can also use the cards for those of you that are here. Uh, and I love to, to get that feedback. If you're new, if you're a guest, then that's one of the first ways, points of contacts that we have with you. And also, I love to be able to know how I can pray for you during the week, so you can put that in there as well. And if you have any questions about the church or anything that you want to pass on, you can use that as well. As I've mentioned earlier, we are in a series called The Sermon on the Mount, where we are obviously working through the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous passages in Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. And I, because last week we did kind of an overview, and that overview is so key to understanding the whole, I just want to remind you of that before we move on to the new stuff. Last week, I answered this question, it's how can I... F- free my faith of guilt and frustration. And I think that that's a big part of what Jesus is doing throughout this whole passage. Last week's message was called The Indispensable Jesus. You can go back on our website or in the podcast and listen to it to catch up if you've missed it. But I gave it this super long subtitle because I thought it it had all this good stuff in it. Uh, And it said, How Jesus Lifts Our Guilt, Elevates Our Ethics Without Excusing Our Sins and Adding to Our Burdens. I couldn't even do that in one breath there. Uh, And here's the main point that I want you to get from this. I think a big part of what Jesus is doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount is showing everyone their need for a Savior showing everyone their need for a savior, pointing everyone to himself as their savior. Because what did he do? A big part of it is you have heard it said, don't do this or do this, but I say to you, do this. We use the example of murder. You've heard it said, uh, don't commit murder. But I tell you that if you're angry with your brother, or if you call him fool, then you are in danger of the fires of hell. And what is he saying? He's saying, you thought you were measuring up right? You're like, I'm not a murderer. I've never committed murder. You, so you think, oh, I'm good. I don't have to worry about it. And what he's constantly doing is lifting the bar to show you that it's deeper and it's more significant and it's more heart level than that has ever been presented before. And in essence, it's showing everybody has crossed the line. We're all across the line. We all need forgiveness. We all need a savior. And then There he is, providing forgiveness. And then at the same time, calling us to a higher ethic, not just ticking certain boxes or or following the letter of the law. He's saying, I want a bigger, more, more transformative experience for you. So he lifts our guilt by showing us that even if we are murderers, whether literally or in the way that he's talking about it, that we need a need forgiveness and we can find it in him. And at the same time, he doesn't say just, you know, just do these bare minimums. He elevates our ethics and says, it's much deeper. It's much wider. It's much more significant than that. And it doesn't excuse our sins because he's saying, look, forgiveness needs to happen. And 
and he presents himself as the, the sacrifice for our sins so that we can experience that forgiveness. But yet it doesn't add to our burden because we find out that when we say yes to Jesus, not only are our sins forgiven, but he comes and lives and resides in us and gives us his power to overcome. So this is great news and it's all pointing people towards Jesus. And so as we go through this, I want that to be kind of that subtext throughout this for you to remember that what Jesus is doing is pointing us to himself as the solution for our problems, the the provider of forgiveness, the one who empowers us to live in the way that he's talking about. And if you miss that point, if you just think this is some... um, exercise in encouraging you to be good or to be better, then I think you're missing the point because the point of this passage is to point us to Jesus. So let's not miss that. So that's kind of the foundational thing. That's something that we're going to keep in mind throughout this whole, uh, the, this whole series as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. But now we're going to go into one of the most famous passages. It's the introduction to Jesus' sermon, sometimes called the Beatitudes. It'll be familiar for many of you, if not all of you. And today's message I'm calling Blessed or Distressed. Blessed or distressed, and that's how to recognize the God-blessed life. So we're going to play this game that's sweeping the nation, blessed or distressed. You're going to hear a, a, uh, a scenario, and you're going to answer. You can answer out loud. You can answer in your mind if this person is blessed or distressed. Are they blessed or distressed? You see somebody who is off in the corner all by themselves. They're obviously troubled. They're, they're, they're sad. And in fact, they are crying. And you think to yourself, hmm, is that person blessed or distressed? This is not a trick question. This is not a trick question. What's the most obvious thing that comes to your mind if you see somebody off in the corner crying, sad, alone? Are they blessed or distressed? They're probably distressed, right? Exactly, exactly. You see somebody and they come up to the the counter at the grocery store and they're going to pay their bill and the card doesn't work. It gets declined. And then they realize that that that's the only card they have with them and they're going through their pockets and they find a, a little bit of change, but they don't have the money that they need. Is that person probably blessed or distressed? Not a trick question. Okay, good, good. You're doing really well. You're doing really well. You're doing really well. Uh, Okay, uh, so you see in a schoolyard, there is a kid that's getting picked on by a bully. The bully is big, strong, and scary. The kid is small on the smaller side and doesn't seem to be doing very well. Doesn't all of his friends have kind of abandoned him, and he's getting picked on and, and beat up. Is that kid stressed or? blessed, distressed or blessed, blessed or distressed. You got the idea. You got the idea. All right. So it's very obvious in all these situations that that we have a sense of what blessed looks like and what distressed looks like, right? And this isn't unique to us. This is if you encounter somebody and, and they're dressed in fancy clothes and they've got a lot of money and uh, we think, wow, they are blessed, right? If you see somebody who's surrounded by all kinds of friends and their family and, and they're loved and cared for, we think, oh, that person is blessed. 
we are looking at that and we can make that kind of a judgment. Now, um, the question becomes, is that, is, is that how God looks at things? And in particular, uh, what Jesus is doing here, you, you saw in that video at the beginning of the series that, that this was defining, this is, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it looks like when God moves in and he is selecting and, uh, and assembling his people. It's what do citizens of God's kingdom look like? Who are the people that are truly blessed? Who are the people that have God's hand on them? What does that look like? How would you recognize it? How would you recognize if that was happening to you? Because that's what happens to us, right? Sometimes when things are going smoothly and things are going all as we expect and we're passing our tests, we're getting the raise, we're getting accolades at work, then we think our health is good. We're blessed, right? God is, God is good, and he is. And then there are other times where things aren't going so well and that relationship that we keep working on doesn't seem to be working out and we're uh, doing our best at work but we've blown it again or we're not getting the recognition that we feel like we deserve or our family life just isn't what we expect or the diagnosis at the doctor isn't what we have been praying for and we begin to wonder, what am I doing wrong? Is, is God's hand on me? Is he, is he listening when I, when I ask, make these prayer requests? When, he, when, I, when I look up to him and humbly just ask for his help and it just doesn't seem like, is God blessing me or, or am I in distress? Has he turned his face away from me? These are the kinds of questions that we ask. These are the kinds of questions that people have been asking for a long time. And in fact, the people in Jesus' day were asking the same kinds of questions. And Jesus comes onto the scene and he answers their question. Today, in this passage, what we're really talking about are our values. It's like, what do we truly value? What, what does God value? And I told you last week that one of my main hopes for this whole series is that we would not bring dishonor or disrepute to Jesus by what we approve or uh, uh, in the last couple of weeks we talked about this but by what we approve or celebrate and what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's he's sharing his his values with us he's saying this is this is what this is what we celebrate that these these are the kind of people that whether you realize it or not God values and if you find yourself in this situation, if you find yourself in a situation that most people would consider distressed, maybe don't quickly go to the idea that you're not blessed, that you're not valued. Because maybe, just maybe, God values things a little bit differently than we do. And so, uh, as followers of Jesus... This should be instructive to us. So this is the bottom line is if we are going to be following Jesus, then part of what that means is that we're going to be adopting his values. And here's where that's a struggle is that we are surrounded by all of these influences that have a different value system than Jesus does, that values people and things and experiences differently than Jesus does. And if we're not careful 
we can fall into the trap of valuing things according to what other people think and a way the world thinks rather than what Jesus thinks because sometimes it's even cloaked in Jesus' language. But we can get off track. And so it's important for us to kind of step back every once in a while and say, are the things that I'm valuing, are the things that I'm celebrating, are the things that I'm aiming for, are those the kinds of things that Jesus values and celebrates and points us towards? Because part of what it means to follow Jesus is that we are going to adopt his values. And as we go through the Beatitudes, I'm going to make three, the, three, these three observations. Again, we'll come back to them, so don't try to rush and write them down necessarily right now. But we're going to notice that Jesus' values are different than our values. Sometimes we're, our values are challenged by Jesus. And Jesus' values are surprising. They're sometimes not what we would expect. And so we need to be prepared for the unexpected. And then lastly, Jesus' values are more descriptive than aspirational. And we'll, we'll talk about what that means because so often this passage especially, we, we kind of hear it from an aspirational standpoint. This is something we should aim for. But what Jesus is really doing more than that, I think, is that he's describing his values to us. And at the end, I always give you something that is practical that we can do. So I'm going to tell you again to, I encourage you again to watch the weekly playlist. There's a playlist that goes along with this, and we'll talk about that. And then we're going to pray together and just pray for correction. Ask God to, to tune our hearts to his values. So let's look at it together. The passage, of course, is the Beatitudes. It's the opening to the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. I'm going to read it from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, because it has more uh, familiar and more traditional uh, wordings for the Beatitudes. Uh, So it might sound a little bit more familiar to you than some of the other translations and uh, just more straightforward. So here we go. This is the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you. And falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward in, in, is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to tune our hearts to yours Show us where we've adopted values and, and ways of looking at the world and people that are different from the way that you 
look at the world and value people. And may we accurately reflect your values, accurately reflect your assessment of situations and circumstances. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us. I think that's one of the biggest things I take away from this is that you are encouraging your people through this. So I pray, Lord, that we would be able to receive it. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at it together. Following Jesus means adopting his values. What, what, the, what Jesus is doing through this is he is sharing his way of evaluating the world with us. So let's look at it together, and we'll just start with the first verse. This is Matthew chapter 5, 3, and we're going to use this as kind of the pattern or paradigm so that you can see the pattern that is present in the Beatitudes. So Beatitudes is just a fancy name for these statements of blessings. So all of of them begin with this word, blessed. Now, this is something that's kind of hard to translate or to to capture everything that it means in in one word. Sometimes it's translated as happy, which kind of communicates the idea. It's like, this is happy. But but when you say happy are the people who mourn, then that doesn't quite make sense. It's not really capturing the whole of it. But but what it's really doing is saying, these are the people that have God's hand upon them, that are blessed by God. This is a good on you. This is, a, in fact, some uh, one translation or one commentator even pointed out, it was like, these are the people who are enviable. They're in an enviable position. And you can see how, how, how different, how that kind of challenges our perspective when you read the rest of it. But, but that's what it is. It's saying, look, this is how you value people. This is, how the, 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 this is transmitting values. Can anybody think of another situation where we encounter this? Uh, like maybe in the Psalms, maybe I remember the beginning of Psalm 1. So, uh, it's right there in your, in your growth guide. You will see it. Uh, somebody got it right there. It's blessed is the man. I'll read the translation that I put in there. Who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And it goes on from there. So what it's doing is saying, uh, here's the introduction to the Psalms. And what are we talking about? This, these Psalms are going to paint a picture of what it looks like to have God's hand on you. When, when you are right smack dab in the middle of God's blessing and God's way for your life, blessed blessed are you. So that's kind of the idea. And after that, it will give some kind of description. So in this case, in the first of the Beatitudes, it said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So you have this idea. These are the people that are blessed. And this is what it looks like to be blessed, to be poor in spirit. Now, you already see that this is challenging because you don't usually think of somebody who is poor in spirit. What do we want? We want high spirits. We want encouraged. I mean, that's the kind of person that you think is blessed. The person who is poor in spirit is distressed to our mind. But no, he's saying, this is what it looks like. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And then the... uh, the, 
the Psalm 1 is really just an ex- extended, one big extended beatitude. It's not, not just one phrase like this, but it's like they, they're, they're not going to hang out with those people that are tearing people down and tearing others down. Instead, their focus is on the law of the Lord, and they meditate on it day and night. That's the kind of person that's blessed. It's just an extended beatitude. And then it goes on, and it gives the reason why. There's the Four, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We touched on this last week that the the main theme of Jesus' teaching was the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. He says, I'm showing up on the scene. This is the beginning of a new era. This is the kingdom of God being unfolded in our time. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I want to, now, since the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is my theme, let me tell you what, what kind of people make up this new kingdom. He says, the blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. There's this kind of four. It's like, if you are poor in spirit, people look at you and they think you're distressed, but actually, from God's perspective, you're blessed because you're the kind of person that belongs in the kingdom of heaven and that the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Remember, Psalm 1 is just an extended beatitude. Blessed are those who don't hang out with the people that are tearing people down and tearing things down. Instead, they focus on the law of the Lord. What's the, what's the result? What's the for? They're, for? They are like a tree planted by streams of water. They're constantly bringing in that water. They never, their, their water never runs dry. They bear their fruit in every season. They're constantly bearing fruit. It's like, this is what it's like if you stay away from the people that tear people down and are tearing things down. Instead, your focus is on the law of the Lord. It's just going to be constantly feeding you, and you're constantly going to be bearing fruit wherever you go. It's just an extended beatitude. And so each of these follow this pattern, the pronouncement of blessing, the description of the kind of person who is blessed, and then kind of a reason why or a result. So what he's doing is he's communicating his values, God's values to us. And following Jesus, if we're going to be his followers, we're, we want to pay attention. We want to kind of catch what he's putting down here because if we're following Jesus, that means we're going to value things the same way that he does. And obviously, we're already seeing that Jesus' values are different than our values. Nobody generally aspires to be poor in spirit. You don't want to be downcast. You don't want to be downtrodden. You want to be lifted up. You want to be encouraged. But he's saying the people who are poor in spirit, the people that are on the downside, they're, they're actually the kind of people that the kingdom of God belongs to and that the kingdom of God is made up, to, made up of. And he, he just continues with this pattern. The second one, blessed are those who mourn, those who are sorrowful. Those who are in emotional pain, they are blessed. Why? Because they're the ones that can receive comfort. The God will provide comfort. And unless you are in mourning, then you can't be a recipient of that comfort. You, you need to be in need. Again, that kind of fits in with that whole theme, remember? We need forgiveness. We need a savior. You're saying, if you are sorrowful, if you are mourning, you look around and you're just 
you're, you're, you're just overcome by all the sorrow and pain in the world, guess what? There's good news because you're going to receive comfort. It, it, throughout these, these are surprising. I've split it up into these three points, but every, every point is, is applicable to every single one of the Beatitudes. What's he doing? He's saying, I want you to start to value things a little bit differently because my values are different than the world's values. And you need to be prepared to be surprised and be taken off guard by this because it's not what you expect. It's not what you've been taught all this time. There's a surprising element to it. And uh, you can see this in an example that I gave you in your growth guide as well. The, it's kind of interesting because there these beatitudes, the idea of teaching values through pronouncing blessings is not unique to Jesus. We already saw that. It's throughout the Hebrew scriptures and the Psalms, but it's also in the religious uh, literature of the day. There's a, uh, a book, uh, a writing called The Wisdom of Ben Sira, and his name is Jesus or Joshua Ben Sira. This is from a couple of hundred years before Jesus. It was devotional literature that was circulating, and in fact, in some traditions, it's even included in scripture. Uh, and it's just a list of blessings. And look at, look at the way that the person who is blessed is, is talked about in this one. It'll sound a little bit familiar, but look for the differences. I can think of nine whom I would call blessed. So here is a Jesus from a couple of hundred years before Jesus pronouncing blessings. And a tenth, my tongue proclaims, a man who can rejoice in his children. This is like all the children are gathered around and they make me happy. They're good kids. A man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Well, that's, that's a little bit different from what we might expect from the Jesus we're familiar with. Someone who's, who's celebrating the downfall of his foes. Happy the man who lives with a sensible wife. You've got a good wife, you are blessed. And the one who does not plow with ox and ass together. Now, that one really confused me. I had no idea what that was talking about. I had to look that up. Evidently, there's a passage in the law in Deuteronomy, I think it was, that says, don't do that. Don't, don't use the ox and the ass when you're plowing together, the donkey. And so it's like, okay, well, why? And they think that it maybe had something to do with a superstition or a religious superstition of the day. It's like, don't fall into the religious superstitions of the day. You do things your own way. Don't do that because you think it's going to be good luck or anything like that. So what's he saying there? He's saying, if you follow the law, you're, you're following the letter of the law, you're, you're in sync with God's law, then that is good. Happy the one who does not sin with the tongue. That makes sense. The one who is not served by an inferior. So, so what is he saying there? He's saying you never have to humble yourself to serve somebody who is in a lesser position than you. That's a person who is blessed. Happy the one who finds a friend, the one who speaks to attentive listeners. If when you speak up, you get honor. And people listen when you say something. How great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that are out there. And this one, you know, it sounds kind of biblical, sounds like something you would find in the Bible, but, but there's a subtle shift, isn't there? 
There's like, if you're honored, I mean, these are blessed or distressed. This, this fits more with blessed, right? This is the kind of thing that we would say, yeah, that, that person is, they've got a good wife. They've got a good family. They, people listen when they speak. The, things are going well for them. And then this other Jesus comes along a couple of hundred years later, and he values things a little bit differently. It's surprising. It's not what they would expect. This Jesus says things like, blessed are the humble, those who are meek. And I remember when I was growing up, I heard meek means strength under control. So there, it, even, even in our circles, we try to make it something that, is, that sounds good. It's like, you know, this is just a person who's strong, but they're not pushing around. Jesus is saying the meek, the humble. Do we like to be humbled they're the ones that God is going to give the earth to. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The idea of righteousness is good or right relationships. This is a person who, when they look around and they see all the brokenness in the world, all the brokenness in relationships, they just like, oh God, please fix this. The world is not like it should be. Relationships are not like it should be. I just want people to love one another. I just want people to get along. I just want people to honor and respect one another, to take care of one another. And I just don't see that anywhere. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. So if you sense that lack, Jesus says, you're among the blessed because there's going to be day there's going to be a day where I do set things right. That, that desire is going to be filled. It goes on to say, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed, blessed are the ones who, who don't hold other ones to the, to the letter of the law, who recognize their own weaknesses and then extend grace and forgiveness and mercy and kindness to those who are weak. It's like, if you're, if you're doing that, you can expect the same thing from your heavenly father. You are blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I, I love when we looked at the word purity and the series on, on, in the Philippians because it talked about two aspects of it. It's like uh, putting something in a centrifuge and, centrifuge and just slinging out all the impurities. It's like... There's no mixed motives. It's it's all it's all purified. It's uh, secondly, it was the idea of, of of being in a bright light. There's nothing hidden. There's no ulterior motives. It's like when you're when you're like that. When you're not not conniving, not sly, not trying to pull one over on others. The pure in heart. They're the ones that are going to be able to stand before God in his kingdom. And then he goes on to say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I pointed out to you guys before, this whole idea of sons of God, when you're a son of someone or something, that means that you share in his character, you share in the character of that. And what he's saying is, uh, when you make peace, when you try to bring others together rather than driving them apart, when you are a healing influence rather than a wedge you're acting like God. You're, 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 you're mirroring, God, mirroring God's character. And isn't that what we are supposed to be 
as followers of Jesus. And that's why this is so important that we adopt his values because we are representing Jesus to the world. And if we don't adopt his values, if we get it twisted, if we get it, if we get it mixed up, then we are presenting a Jesus to the world that does not exist. So following Jesus means adopting his values. We learn, we pay attention. And then lastly, Jesus' values are, are different than our values. They are surprising as a result but the, his values are more descriptive than aspirational. I remember when I first heard this, this was like a lightning bolt uh, and a lightning bulb going, coming, a lightning bolt, a light bulb coming on for me because all growing up, I had heard this over and over again and I always heard it with the ears of you're supposed to be poor in spirit. Try to be more poor in spirit. Or, or try to mourn a little bit more, or be more merciful. It was all aspirational. It was like, uh, you, you should try to be more like this. But what I recognized is that, and it made me think of Tim Keller's quote, uh, that the good news, the gospel, is good news, not good advice. It's good news. It's not good advice. What Jesus is doing here is not primarily sharing good advice, be like this. He is sharing good news. If you find yourself in this position, this is good news. It doesn't mean that God has given up on you. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten about you. It doesn't mean that he's not answering your prayers and not hearing you from heaven. It actually means that you are right in the center of the, the weakness and brokenness in the world that God is active in. You belong. You're not rejected. You're included. These values are more descriptive than aspirational. This is a quote that I ran across in preparing. I put it in here in your growth guide as well. It says it uh, very well. It's a commentator named Stanley Hauerwas, and he says, too often these characteristics of the blessings have in Christian history been turned into ideals or virtues that we must strive to attain. When we do that, we turn them into formulas that help us gain status and favor with God, which is, of course, precisely the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say. Rather, they are descriptions of the kinds of people to whom Jesus, in fact, first brought the kingdom of God. Nowhere does Jesus tell us that we should try to be poor in spirit or mourn all the time or try to get yourself persecuted. He simply announces the great surprise that these people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be first among those called into God's kingdom. And I think you see this in the way that Jesus wraps this up, right? It's blessed are the persecuted. It's not like, go out and get persecuted. You know, there are some people that are kind of twisted and they go out and they try to get people to get mad at them. That's not what Jesus is saying. No, he's saying, look, if you're doing the right things, if your heart is set right, if you are pursuing these values, if there's a brokenness in, in the world that you sorrow for, if you are finding yourself on, in this distress God hasn't forgotten you. And, and when you are persecuted because of righteousness, and then bookends it, remember? Poor in spirit, kingdom of heaven is this. This is the last one. 
when you are persecuted because of righteousness, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What is this all about? This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He's trying, drawing, drawing bookends around saying, I'm gathering up all of these people that thought that they were rejected, that thought that they were outsiders looking in, and they're finding that they are actually the very people that God is starting the kingdom with. He goes on, you're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me, bringing it back to Jesus, focusing on him. Be glad and rejoice because your reward in heaven is great. Uh, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in a long line of good company when this happens to you. You see, what Jesus is doing is he is painting a picture of what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom and the, the characteristics of the people who are in the kingdom. And it reminded me of this passage. I won't read it to you, but it's there in your growth guide so you can go and look back on it. Jesus would later refer to this passage and say, this is about me. It starts off like this. The spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Remember we said that the gospel and I think the Beatitudes are good news, not good advice. What is he doing? He's painting a picture. He's saying, here, let me uh, think of it as stained glass. You know, you, you have this little spot. And you say, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. And he goes through the mourners, those who are uh, persecuted, the ones who uh, are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's like he's giving you all these little pieces of the of the picture of that glass. And then he is giving you pieces. And what does it look like when you put all of these pieces together? What is the picture that Jesus is painting? Who does it look like? It looks like Christ. This is, of course, the Cairo. It's the ancient symbol of Christ. And, and the stained glass, it pulls all these pieces together to paint this picture. And what is Jesus doing? He's saying, look, you thought you were on the outside looking in. You're actually an insider. And oh, by the way, when you're looking for a Messiah, when you're looking for a Savior, maybe you don't look in the same places that you thought you did. The, the Messiah that, Jesus, that God is sending might look a little bit differently. And he paints this picture and who is the one who comes in humility, humble, poor in spirit, who comes to set things right, looks at our broken world and hungers and thirsts for righteousness? And who is the one who, even though he did nothing wrong, he is persecuted and opposed and even put to death? The picture that he's painting is Jesus and he is painting a picture of himself and saying, also, this is what my followers look like. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Be encouraged. There is good news. You haven't been cast out. You've been invited in. And so we say yes to that invitation. I always talk about saying yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord. We need a Savior. He died on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. We are his followers, therefore he's Lord, he's boss. He gets to call the shots. So we, this is a painting a picture of an invitation. Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. And when you find yourself in these positions, it doesn't mean God has abandoned you. He is right there with you. And in fact, 
you are first on the list for the kingdom of God. Today we've talked about his values and talked about how following Jesus means adopting his values. His values are different than our values. They surprise us. And he's describing our lives and saying, you thought you were on the outside, but you're actually on the inside. There is an aspirational content to it, but mostly he's giving you good news. Receive it today. All those things that have made you wonder, is God really with me? Is God on my side? Is he watching out for me? The way that you think your life would be different if you were blessed and you find yourself distressed, he's like, no, I am actually right there with you in your distress. The kingdom of God can show up in your life in that way. Let me give you two practical things you can do with today's message. The first is, and I mentioned this last week, the Bible Project has, throughout the course of this year, they're going to be focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. And every week they give you a short little playlist, things to read, things to listen to, things to watch. It doesn't take that long. It's a great way to get you in the habit of getting in God's Word and to kind of walk you through that. So if you go to cornerstonenh.org slash sermon playlist, you'll find a link to that and you'll be able to sign up for that and just work that through and it'll go along with this series. It'll be a nice supplement to this series and it'll help you to get into God's word. What, what are you doing? You are adopting and you're adopting God's values. You're, you're, you're putting in his thoughts so that it will flow out through your lives. And then the last thing that I wanted to do before we go today is just pray together. Uh, a prayer of confession and a prayer for correction because all of us are prone to adopting the values that we're exposed to during this time. And so I just want to end today by asking the Lord to tune our hearts to his, to redirect and correct us if we get off track and to make us the kind of people that accurately reflect who he is and what he values. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know that I can get it twisted. I know that I constantly need my heart, my thoughts, my mind tuned to you and your word transformed by your spirit that I constantly, just like you described, I need to stay connected to the vine Apart from you, we can do nothing. With you, all things are possible. We need you. We need your spirit to indwell us. We need your spirit to speak to us. We need your word flowing through us. So Lord, I just pray for me, for these, my brothers and sisters, my friends, that you would correct us when we get off track. That if there is some way that we have valued people differently than you do, adopted the values of the world instead of tuning our hearts to you that correct us. We declare our willingness to be redirected and corrected. And Lord, keep us on track so that we can be in sync with you, but also in the same way so that we can accurately present you to the world, valuing the things that you value, loving the people around us, And Lord, for every one of us that has had those thoughts that because things haven't been going so well, because we have been in distress, because prayers haven't been answered the way that we wanted them to, may we hear that encouragement in the way that 
Jesus' first listeners heard on that mountain so long ago, the surprising good news that all those things that made us feel like we were disqualified and distressed actually are signs that we are ready for, invited into, and included in your people and your kingdom. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.